The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51 if you have it. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you the devil will tempt us to sin. If you think back to the study we did in James, you can't blame the devil throwing out some bait and going fishing. And what he does is he becomes the accuser. When you fall into sin, first he says, There's, it's not a big deal, go ahead and do it. And then when you stumble and fall, he becomes the accuser. He says, well, God's not going to ever forgive you for that. And I want to talk to you about today about repentance of a saint. And Psalm 51 is the most graphic picture of confession of sin found anywhere in the Bible. The psalm contains David's humble prayer for forgiveness as he thought he went and seeked cleansing from God after a massive moral breakdown in his life. And it was written after David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which he followed by sin of murder. And almost a year after this sin, A year after, God directed the prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin. And this psalm is the prayer of a guilty man. It's the prayer of King David. and He was a great sinner. He was a saint. He was a great theologian, but he was also a great repenter. So let's look at Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly with my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought from iniquity, and the sin of my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me known. To known wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in the burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrived heart. These, O God, You will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteousness. With burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. There are a lot of things that we can discuss in this psalm. And lots of verses, 19 verses. I want to... Look at three simple things this morning. First is, I want to look at the possibility of the sin in the saint. And let me first start out by confusing you a little bit, because I don't think there's enough confusion in the world and in your life, right? So, I was speaking to somebody, and the lady was saying she was a Christian, and she was talking about somebody else, and said, well, they're one of those born-again Christians. Well, it's kind of contradiction in terms. The only Christian there is, is born-again. So... You know, that's the only type of Christian there is. So I'm going to ask you a question. Who are here or been born again? It's okay. You've been born again? How many of you committed a sin after you were born again? <sighs> Sinners. Well, look at First John 3, 9. It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. 
So have you been born of God if you're sinned afterwards? Hmm. And then in 1 John 5, 18, it says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of, born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So are you sure you've been born again? If you sinned after you've been born again? Is there anybody here that says, Hey, after I've been born again, I've never committed a sin? I'm a holy person. I know you're too proud to raise your hand, but I'm sure there is. And then let me confuse you even more. If somebody says that, the Bible says in 1 John 1.8, it says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in 1 John 3.8, it says he who sins is of the devil. Are you guys of the devil? For the devil has sinned from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So pretty confusing, isn't it? So it says if I'm born again, which David was, we don't sin. But then if I say I don't sin, it says there's no truth in me, and I'm a liar. If you look at Romans, what Paul said, in Romans chapter 7, verses 17 through 21, he says this, but now, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I don't want to do, I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Is that confusing enough to you? Well, Galatians, when he wrote to Galatians, he pretty much said the same thing in Galatians 5.17, but it's more simpler terms. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, God didn't fix you. When you got saved, he didn't fix you where you can't sin no more. And I'm going to say, repeat this over, over in this message. He didn't fix you where you can't sin no more. But if you're born again, you will not be living in constant sin. Sin will not be a way of life. It will, it, it will be... Uh, he didn't fix you where you can't sin, but he did fix you where you can sin and not enjoy it. You're not going to enjoy it. And you see, another way is there's two dogs fighting each other, right? Which dog's going to win? I'm against dog fights, by the way. Don't send me emails. It's just an illustration. Which dog's going to win? The dog that you feed the most. What happened to David? What was David doing? How did he fall into this sin? Well, first of all, he was being lazy. He was not doing what he's supposed to be doing, what kings are out doing. He's supposed to be out there with his troops fighting. Then when he went out on the rooftop, second, when he saw her bathing on the roof, he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be watching him walk away. But instead, he continued to saturate his mind with lust, and he kept feeding the flesh, feeding the flesh. He didn't stop. And then he continued on to go have some people go get her and bring her to him. And many times, sin in the saint is an unexpected opportunity, an undetected weakness, and when those come together, we fall into sin. We fall into sin. And I want to tell you, just surely as you put your hand on the hot stove, you're going to get burnt. If you're bound to sin, you're bound to suffer, folks. And let me remind you that eternal security is not a license to sin. It's not. It's not to be construed as a license to sin, God forbid. And if you're bound to sin, you're going to suffer, regardless if you're saved or you're not saved. But even the godliest people can fall into terrible sin. Sin has 
serious, serious consequences. And they're inescapable. And folks, just one lapse, just one lapse in judgment or sin can change your life forever. It did with David's. You know, we, we read about David and he was God's man and all that stuff. But look at 1 Kings 15.5. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Now, if there was a period, that would be awesome. Right? But then it says, except. In the matter of Europe, the hitty. He was doing pretty good there. Until that except. One mistake, God. That's it. Folks, we should never forget that God is a holy God. God is a holy God. Do you remember another character in the Bible named Moses? Do you remember when he disobeyed God? He struck it when God told him to speak to it, to the mountain, give water. Why? He was irritated, frustrated with all the Israelites just bugging and nagging him. But because of that one thing, God said, you're not going to enter the promised land. You're going to get on a mountain, you can, you can see the promised land, but then you're going to die. You're not going to enter the promised land. Is God so cruel? God is a holy God. So we need to understand just because you're saved doesn't mean that you don't sin, you do. But because you are saved, there should be a lot more repenting in your life. A lot more repenting as you grow spiritually and you start to understand the holiness of God. So what happens in the, in the life of a believer, of a saint, when you sin? And I want to look at those things with, with you because men are free to decide their own moral choices, but they are uh, they're under the necessity to account to God for those choices. There's consequences. So I want to, I'm sure you all understand that there's a possibility of sin within us. And for folks, the, the devil have you believe that after you come and you repented once, you can just sin, move on, everything's forgiven, forgiven, it's not a big deal, move on with your life, uh, just best life now, you know, a lot of people are preaching Jesus is a genie in a bottle, he's just there to grant you wishes to comfort you all the time and just do whatever you want. Sin is not a big deal. But people have a different idea of sin. They think it's not a big deal. Well, the devil, the people, they have a different idea about sin than God does. You know, I heard about a mom who looked outside the window and saw her son outside and there were some skunks around him. And she said, oh, there's trouble on the horizon. So she <laughs> opened the window and yelled, run, son, run, son. He picked up one of the skunks and started running. And a lot of people think that way. We think we can just sin and move on. But folks, sin leaves a mark everywhere it touches. Sin leaves a footprint everywhere it steps. Sin leaves a strain everywhere it breathes. You cannot sin and it not have an impact in your life. Did our PowerPoint go out? That's okay. Well, some people say, I've prayed, I'm forgiven. Folks, I need you to understand, there are consequences to your sin. There are consequences to sin. Every, every kick has a kickback. One leak will sink a ship. One sin can destroy a sinner. And the Bible says we're all sinners. We've done all things to offend God. Now, sometimes we never get busted by other people, right? Sometimes we have those hidden sins. In fact, some people carry on a sinful pattern of behavior for years and never been caught. But then when they're busted and we say, whoa, we're surprised. But there's two people that are not surprised. God's not surprised and the person that's committing the sin is not surprised, should not be. And the truth is, in the eyes of God, we've all been busted. There's no deed, no sin, no rebellion against uh, God escapes his notice. God sees everything. And we need to understand that sin will take us farther than we ever want to go. It will keep you. It will keep you addicted longer than you want to stay there. It, it will, the, the sin is the most expensive thing in the world. It costs Jesus his life. 
And folks, I want to say, if sin is not a big deal, why in the Bible is there Psalm 51? A prayer of repentance of a saint. Sin not a big deal? Then why is David repenting? Look at Psalm 51, verses 2. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What is sin doing, number one? It soils your soul. What dirt is to the body, sin is to this inner person. David is feeling defiled because of what he has done. He says, wash me, cleanse me. Now, why did David do that? He felt dirty. He felt dirty. He was a king. He bathed in, you know, lavish lifestyle, probably had a marble bathtub or something. I don't know, flowers and all that kind of stuff. But he's feeling dirty. He's the king. Why is he feeling dirty? And folks, did you know one way you can know if you're saved or not is when you can sin. And if you don't feel dirty, I doubt that you've been saved. A child of God will always feel dirty. You see the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil? A child uh, of the devil sins and it doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother him. You know, there's people that take up God's name in vain and you rebuke him and you tell him something. They're like, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's wrong with that? They have no difficulty with the sin. And the difference between is just like a pig and, you know, wallows. In, you ever seen a dirty pig? You think the dirty pig ever, have you ever heard a pig say, oh, I, I feel mighty dirty today. I've got to take a bath. No, it's in its natural habitat. But if a sheep falls, it wants to get back up. It wants to get out of the mud. And a child of God may lapse into sin, and he hates it. A child of the devil leaps into sin, and he loves it. And David felt dirty, grimy, and he says, oh, God, wash me. Come up close. I want to tell you something. He says, I, wash me. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm not myself. Cleanse me. This is a king. Next thing he does, if you look at verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. The sin is always before him. Night and day, day and night. The thing that David done has echoing in his mind over and over. It's an unforgettable mark. It wounded his physique. It saturates his mind. Now, because David committed this sin, everywhere he looked, it reminded it. For almost a year, he was trying to hide this sin. You know, I can imagine he's waking up, going, dealing with the affairs, and somebody comes into his office. I'm just translating. I'm sure that he had different offices. But... Somebody comes into his office and he's probably feeling a little paranoid. Does that person know about my sin? Anytime a message came from a battlefield, he's like, is this where they're going to discover what I did? Now, does that mean you'll be thinking about it 24 hours a day? No. Maybe not, but in your subconscious, you will. You'll kick it out the front door, it'll come back through the window. It will come back. If, you're, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you might, you know, sometimes backsliders, they're very irritable. They have migraines. They, you can show, it can show, be showing up in their temper. It shows up in their inability to pray. It will show up in other ways. You might try to kick it out, but it will be coming back to you. Now, if you can sin and easily forget that sin, I doubt that you've been saved. If you sin and it doesn't bother you and you can easily forget about it, the reason I say that you're not saved is because the Holy Spirit is not with you. Because the Holy Spirit is the convictor. It will convict you of your sins. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, somebody asked me, so if I have a migraine, that means I'm a sinner? No. But because of your sin, you may have a migraine. And you see, there's two kinds of wounds that come to the human physique. One is sorrow, and one is guilt. Sorrow is a, is a clean wound. And what I mean by that, I was talking to a father this week, and he's praying for his son. The son is 
going away from God, going into a lifestyle of the world, and he's sorrow. Guilt is a dirty word. Guilt is a dirty wound. It festers, it festers, and it will never heal until it is cleansed. And talking about the conscience, it soils the soul, saturates the mind. It stings the conscience. You know, there's a lot of people have difficulty sleeping sometimes. Sometimes it's due to uh, neurological, some medical condition, but many times it's because of the unresolved sin in their hearts. And for those people, a clear conscience will do better than a sleeping pill. Is that Jesus telling me to hurry up? Folks, guilty conscience needs no accusing, right? Conscience is one makes us feel bad when everything else feels good. If you look at verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. His conscience tree. Now, what I want you to understand, David is not crying out against the punisher. He's crying against the sin. He says, oh my God, I've sinned against you. People say, well, David sing against, sinned against his kingdom. Didn't he sing against his kingdom? Yes. Did sin against his body? Yes. Did he sin against his wife? Yes. His children? But that's not what bothered primarily David. He knew none of those people could forgive sin. They could forgive his actions. So let me give you a couple of scriptures here. In Micah 6, 7 it says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of soil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And in 1 Samuel 15, 22, reads, so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice in the heat than the fat of the rams. See, this is the Old Testament, and what's interesting is David knew that no amount of sacrifice of lambs or burnt offerings could forgive his sin. God alone forgives sins. He could have committed a sin and then just gather a whole bunch of sheep and just sacrifice them and called it a day. But he knew that's not what God wants. And that's why in verses 16 and 17, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David was a child of God, and he says, against you, only you, I have sinned. And he understood that his sin was an insult to a holy God. And folks, if you're afraid of a punishment for your sin, I doubt that you've been saved. If you're a child of God, you, when you sin, you don't weep primarily because you're going to get punished or some kind of repercussions. You primarily weep because you disgraced your God, a holy God. Against you, only you have sinned. That's the difference between a slave and a son. When a slave disobeys, he fears the whip from his master. When the son disobeys, if he's a loving son... He fears his father's displeasure. And folks, does that sin, your sins in your life, those of you who raise your hand, did those bother you that way when you sin? Against you, only you I have sinned. And in Acts 24, 16, it says, always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And then in verses 8 and 12, he says this, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. It saddened his heart. Saddened his heart. Now, he's not asking for his salvation to be restored. See, you can be saved and you can be miserable. You can be saved and you may be miserable. You so, you so most uh, miserable people on earth are not the unsaved people. They're out there having fun, living a ball. And anyone tells you there's no pleasures in sin, they're lying. The Bible says there are pleasures in sin, but for a season. 
for a season. Never tell anybody they can't have pleasure if they're not saved. And David here is miserable. He's saved. He's a child of God. And he's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. The most miserable man on earth, in my opinion, is a saved man that's out of fellowship with God. Saved man that's out of fellowship with God. And again, when God saves you, he doesn't fix you where you can't sin no more, but he fixes you where you can sin, can't sin and enjoy it anymore. He says, Where's, restore me joy of my salvation. Sin causes the cup of joy to spring a leak. Another test, how you know you can be, you're saved or not. Do you have joy in your heart? In 1 Peter 1.8, it says, Whom have not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joys inexpressible and full of glory. Rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Well, you say nobody's supposed to be joyful all the time, right? I have some tough times. Well, look at Philippians 4.4. Where it say? Rejoice in the Lord. What's that next word? Always. Now, he doesn't say be happy always. You wouldn't want to be happy all the time. Joy depends on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Joy never changes. You're to have joy all the time. There's only one thing that can take away your joy. It's not circumstances. It's sin. Want me to tell you what kind of sin will take away your joy? Yours. Yours. Nobody else's sin can take away your joy. Disobedient child can't take away your joy. Unfaithful husband or wife can't take away your joy. Ungodly government can take away your joy. None of it can take away your joy. You know why? They didn't give it to you. Jesus gives it. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, For the God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is in good in his sight. And in Psalm 4, 7, it says, You have put gladness in my heart. Who gives you joy? God. Jesus. And what separates us from Jesus and God? There's only one thing. Sin. And he's saying, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Somebody said, The joy is the flag that's flown from the castle of the heart when king is in residence. If the joy is not there, friend, because you're not abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Billy Sunday once said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And that leak is usually a broken fellowship with God. Something has come between you and the Lord. And again, the three-letter word, sin. But not only is sadden the heart, sin also sickens the body. Look at 50, Psalm 51, verse 8. It continues, says, Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Well, did God put them in a hammerlock and break all David's bones? Not literally. This is poetry. And we say, we use the same analogy today, right? I was crushed. I feel like I was hit by a train. He was saying, God, you have me under extreme pressure that the bones you have broken. He was crushed. What was he crushed about? Nathan's indictment. Nathan's indictment. His whole body ached under this heavy burden of sin. It's almost as God put his hand on David and just squeezing him. A lot of people think if I sin, God's like through with me until I come. No, the Holy Spirit's there. He's continue to remind you. will squeeze you. It will drive you back to repentance. And he's saying, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you are broken may rejoin. There's incredible pressure. Now, if you keep that pressure there for a long time, you may get sick physically. It's going to make you sick. Sometimes God sends disease to the body to cure the soul, folks. And, you know, it will have effect on your physical life. 
it will do a number on you physically. I remember a story of a church group that went to a rest home one time to visit. And they were interviewing this old guy, you know, and they wanted to hear his story and uh, what was the secret for living this long life. He looks pretty old. And he said, well, I did everything I wanted to do, you know. I ran, did drugs, drank beer, hanged out with women, did all those things. And they asked him, well, how old are you if you did all those things? He said, 24. All right, I'll remove that illustration for next time. But the book of Job in chapter 20 talks about such people. And Job 20.11 says, His bones are full of his young, youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. New Living Translation puts it, Though they are young, their bones will lie in dust. Sin will catch up with you. Sin will make an old man out of you before your time. And sin will take a toll on your life. And you know that many children of God are sicker than they ought to be? Now, sickness is a very complicated thing, so don't get me wrong here. There are many reasons for sickness. But one of the reasons for sickness is the sin in the life of a child of God. And one of the proofs we read at all times when we do communion in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this reason many are weak, sick among you, and many sleep. That's not sleep bye-bye sleep, that's dead sleep. Because you have sinned at the Lord's table. You have taken the Holy Supper in careless manner. For this reason, many of you are sick. Sin causes sickness. You may not understand that. And sometimes you can get sick unto death. There was a parrot that had a foul mouth. It cursed like a sailor. The lady went into a pet store and she fell in love with it. And the owner said, you sure you want the parrot? Because, you know, he just curses left and right. She's like, well, I can teach him to be a Christian parrot. So she taught him how to say phrases like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and everything was going five until one day she forgot to feed the parrot. She forgot to feed the parrot and he started back his old ways. So she decided to teach him a lesson. She took the parrot and put him in the freezer. Five, ten minutes later she took him out, she said, did you learn your lesson? He's like, yes. So everything went back Okay. Until again, she forgot to feed the parrot. So this time, she put him in the freezer to teach him a lesson, but she forgot about him. A couple of hours go by, she goes, opens the freezer, and he's all iced up, so she let him thaw out. He's like, have you learned your lesson now? He said, yes. But he's like, can I ask you a question? She's like, sure. He said, I thought I knew all the cuss words and swear words they are. What words exactly did the turkey say? So, folks, moral of the story is sometimes we end up suffering physically like the parrot or we end up dead as the turkey. And then what it does, and if you look at verse 10, it sours your spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. When we sin... We all of a sudden have the wrong spirit. Have you ever seen a backsliding person with a sour spirit? Sin affects your spirit. For about a year, you have to understand, nobody could get along with David. He was mad at the world. Anybody comes around him, it's like touching a porcupine. He was mean-spirited. People say, don't go around David, something wrong with him. There's something wrong with David, and they'll just stand off and distant his friends. And that's what happens when we fall into sin. We become very irritable people. Two ladies were having coffee, and one of the ladies asked her friend, said, do you ever wake up grouchy? Says, no, I usually let him sleep. We get this mean spirit. And folks, you know, I will tell you the truth. I'd rather be around an old-fashioned, unsafe pagan than an unrepentant Christian. The most critical, difficult, slanderous, can't-get-along-with type of individuals I've ever known are backsliders because they're miserable on the inside. 
They're miserable on the inside. And you watch a person with a sound spirit, with the wrong spirit, the most critical persons in the church, you know, they think that God gave them a gift of criticism. They're always playing the victim and everything. If you wait long enough, and if you watch far enough, sooner or later, you find that there's some sin in their life that has given them this ugly critical spirit, this unrepentance, because they're being unrepentant. Somebody said, no food dish on the table looks good to a person with a sour stomach. They just find fault everywhere with everything. And case point, David had committed adultery. Then he's trying to cover her up. He committed manslaughter. And then Nathan, a prophet, comes to speak to him about his sin. And he told David a story about a man, right? He told him a story about a, a man who had a little lamb, a little pet lamb. And it was like his own daughter. It ate at the table with him. It walked with him. And he was a poor man. But next to him lived a very rich man. And he had a guest coming over. So the rich man took this poor lamb from the poor man, killed it, cooked it, and fed it to the stranger. You remember David's reaction? David was livid with rage, right? Jumped up from his throne, probably, clenched fists. How dare thee? And then Nathan the prophet says, you're the man. David got angry at a man that killed a sheep. He killed a man. He killed a man. David was quick to judge a man who killed an animal, but he killed a human being. You always find those backsliding people who are very careful to judge people for less sin than they have their own, in their own lives. They're trying to pick out specks out of other people's eyes when they have logs in theirs. They have a sour spirit. That's what happens in the life of a believer that commits a sin and does not repent. And then it moves on in verses 12, 15. It says, Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. What does that tell us? Sin silences your lips. It shuts your mouth. It shuts Christian's mouth. It seals his lips. Sin had done this with David. He said, David was a sweet singer of Israel. But there's no song. Praise all dried up. Testimony is faded. Soul winning stopped altogether. He says, teach, then I will teach transgressors your way. Restored me this joy of your salvation, then I will do these things. David says, when I get right with God, I'll be a soul winner. When I get right with God, I'll be a singer. When I get right with God, I will praise. And that's one way you know you can backslide. There's no singing. You're singing, but it doesn't come from the heart. Praise withers. Soul winning stops altogether. You don't share Christ because sin has shut your mouth. You see, the devil says, who are you to be singing what a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus came into my heart? Who are you to be singing what a mighty God we serve? Who are you to be testifying and telling everybody else that they need to get saved when you're such a miserable example and you have no joy, you have no peace, you don't even have any real assurance in your own heart, in your own life? And the devil intimidates people that way. Why? Because they have that unrepentant sin in their life. And that's the tragedy of sin of the life of a child of God. When we have unconfessed sin in our heart, in our life, it also delights Satan. He's happy. You're giving him a foothold where he can work. Now, all these things put together are things that happen in this life. But then when you come to the judgment seat of Christ, think about it. The loss of the reward it will be. The loss of the reward it will be. So what's the solution? 
Well, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, when we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. And the last point I want to talk about is the restoration. Restoration of a believer, of a saint. And they're all going to start with C. First is confidence. The very first thing I want you to notice is confidence. You must have confidence that God still loves you. That God still loves you. Look at verse 1, how David begins uh, one, verse 1 in his prayer. Have mercy upon me of God. According to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David had confidence in his God. David knew that for a multiple of sins, there are multiple of what? Tender mercies. According to the multiple of your mercies. David knew that he was a sinner, but David knew God was full of love and forgiveness and love and kindness. And again, devil uses this opportunity to you've sinned grievously. God's finished with you. There's no hope. God will cast you off. But David knew that God would hear his prayer. He would hear his prayer. God, he knew that God was stood ready and forgive to cleanse. And folks, we may disappoint God. We may break his heart. You may disgrace God. But there's nothing that can stop God from loving you. And I don't care what you've done. Many of us probably not committed a sin of murder as David did. But it says here, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Is there still going to be consequences? Yes. God loves you. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He's going to be doing some changes. For great sin, there's great grace. And that's confidence. So come to God. He will hear your prayer. When you come to God, you need to confess your sin. That's the second C, confession. And verse 3, uh, verse three 4 says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you have I sinned, have done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. What is true confession, folks? When you confess it, you go beyond just admission. You judge it. You say about that sin what God says about it. You see, when we sin, we need to see our sin from God's viewpoint. You say what God says about it. And David fully acknowledged his sin. He called it what it was. He didn't call it a weakness. He called it wickedness. Not an incident. It was murder. He accepted God's verdict, admitting that God was proven right. He's correct. And punishment for his sin is justified. And he judged it. No alibis are given here. David offered no lame excuses, only a full confession of his own guilt. That he deserved divine justice. And he's saying, I've sinned against you. And there's one thing God won't accept for, for your sins. That's an alibi. I mean, if you look at it, David could have said, well, it's not my fault. My wife wasn't showing me love and affection. Or he would say, it wasn't my fault. She was out there bathing. She shouldn't have been there. Or I just had a weak moment. But David says, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me. I'm standing in need of prayer and forgiveness. And that's what godly sorrow produces, repentance. If you look at 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. And folks, he was not worried about the consequences of sin. You know, there's a lot of people that were sorry about their sin. You know, Judas is one of them, Saul, Esau. But they were more scared of the results of their sin. But it was an honest confession. God just wants you to confess it. And then what? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And Numbers 32, 23 said, But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You see, when we try to cover up our sins, God uncovers it. But we, when, when we uncover our sin to God, what does God do? He covers it. He covers it. Your sin will find you out. The Holy Spirit cannot apply the blood to unconfessed sin, folks. You need to confess your sin. And when the man is ready to confess his sin, God is always ready to cover it with his blood. 
In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, Who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's not just confessing them. It's forsaking them. And I was reading a poem and said, It's not enough to say I'm sorry and repent and then go on from day to day just as I always went. Repentance is to leave their sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grief by doing them no more. So confession is not just admission. It's also forsaken and doing them no more. And when you confess, what happens? The third C, cleansing. 51.2 says, wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly for my iniquity. He erases the records. It's blotted out. It's not there anymore. It's buried in God's forgetfulness. And we talked about it last time what that means, forgetfulness. God doesn't forget it. He just remembers it no more against you. And then he says, wash me. Blots it out. He washes him. Removes the penalty of sin. He removes the pollution. And it's gone. And the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from what? For a few sins? All unrighteousness. So have that confidence. Come to him. Confess it. And he'll cleanse you for all unrighteousness. And then he purges. In verse 7, he says, purge me with the hyssop, shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Not that he always take away the penalty or the pollution, but friend, he purges it. God blots it out, watches it, and purges it. It's like God's triple detergent, right? And you don't need to go around with load of guilt anymore. Or having a sour spirit and affecting those around you. You can be as clean, what does it say here? As whiter than snow. And folks, what a mighty God we serve. And sadly enough, sadly enough, in lives of many Christians, sin is not only tolerated, it's cultivated. You know, there's so much acceptance. There's so much acceptance of Christians. What are you accepting? Well, we're accepting Christians. What are you accepting? Sin? Why would you accept sin that God's Son died for on the cross? Become more accepting. Yeah, loving. But you are to hate what God hates. Sin. Just because I don't agree with somebody's viewpoint of lifestyle doesn't mean I hate them. I hate their lifestyle because the Word of God calls it sinful. And folks, not only for the unbelieving world, in a Christian walk, for us Christians, we are to live a life of continual repentance as you grow spiritually. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.31, says, I affirm that boasting in you which I have Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Why, does he die and then God resurrects him? Does he die and God resurrects him daily? No. The more he studies the Scriptures, the more he's exposed to the holiness of God, the more he's feeding the, the spirit, he realizes how sinful he is, and he repents. And then for John 13.10 says, Jesus, who is bathed, needs only his uh, feet washed, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So in a lifetime, in, in the life of a Christian, we also, if you're living a godly life, you still need to get your feet washed. You're walking in this dirty world. And Charles Spurgeon had a quote, said, Christian must never leave off repenting, for I fear he never leaves off singing. Now, folks, is it possible that you don't confess your sins? When was the last time you wept over your sins? Not just said, oh, Jesus, forgive me and move on. But actually stopped a second and thought about what you just did, how you offended the holy God that you serve. When was the last time you cried out because of the failures in your life or sins in your life? So we all need to ask our questions, folks. We, we need to, do I have proper view of myself and my sinful nature? Do I spend enough time confessing sin to Lord each day? 
And when confessing to sin, do, do I identify the specific sins that I am guilty of committing? And do I praise God after I have confessed them? Psalm 32, first two verses says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. And if you want to be cleansed from your sin, you have to come to God and acknowledge them and confess them. And when you do that, the Bible says, if we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, he walks in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. In the words of all old hymns, as chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high, lives that I may never die. He lives that I may never die. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Praise God for the cleansing blood of Jesus. And folks, we need to understand the Lord alone can take the sinful man and make him clean. And the word of God tells us in Acts 3.19, and I'll be finished. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want time of refreshing in this crazy world? Are you guilty of committing sins? Maybe posting things on Facebook? Maybe blaming the government, political parties, and not really going to God? And this psalm clearly shows us the tragedy of sin of a believer, but it also shows us clearly what the remedy is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, maybe always count the cost that you paid to redeem us and to live accord with that price. And I pray all those that are not yet saved will come to you and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that every member of this church, Father, analyzes their lives and confess any known sins and experience this joy of salvation that cannot be taken away. And as we leave this place, Father, I ask for your blessings and for protection for this work week. And some kids already gone back to school and some may be going back. We ask for their protections and the teachers and keep them and the teachers safe. And most importantly, Father, as we leave this place, I ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.